Our gospel today is set in an emotionally draining context. Jesus is on the cross, and to his left and right are two criminals. In Luke's previous chapter, the disciples were having a dispute about who among them was the greatest. In Mark's account of the gospel, the names of the instigators of this dispute is made known. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, each lobbying to sit on the left and right of Jesus when God's kingdom comes on this earth. During this jockeying for positions, they could neither comprehend nor envision that their new king, who receives shouts of acclamation during Hosanna, would be whipped, tortured, and derided a few days later. And so now those disciples cast their glaze aside for who aspires to be crucified on the left and right of a king whose crown was made of thorns? Who wants to be on a cabinet or a privy council for a kingdom that cannot be seen with one's own eyes? Who wants to be part of a kingdom whose primary weapon is the embrace of forgiveness rather than the piercing sword? Who wants to be part of a kingdom where vinegar and bitter herbs are served in the cup of derision rather than vintage wine of choice grapes served in a bejeweled chalice? And yet this kingdom of love, justice, and peace, inaugurated in a manger, consummated on the cross, is the only kingdom that can truly change the world and give us hope. For there is no territorial boundary to this kingdom. As Christians, we are called to participate in this kingdom, living the laws, Jesus declared those very laws. Love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. We are invited to pray the weird words that Jesus taught us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, knowing that there will be a day, there will be a day where Christians would have to make a choice between the earthly Caesar or the King of Kings, living the endurance that Paul so beautifully writes about in his epistle today, pointing towards the liberation from the power of darkness in Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, whose kingdom is beyond the dominion rule or powers of any earthly empire. Those early Christians added the doxology, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.
You know, the church almost forgot those words. It took a reformation fueled by 95 theses hanging on the the doors of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany in 1517 to remind the faithful that our salvation is not in an earthly prince or religious hierarchy. No, we are heirs to a kingdom, a kingdom in whose perfect sword, kingdom no sword is drawn, but the sword of righteousness. No strength is known, but the strength of love. We too are given a choice. We're given a choice about who we serve. Will we bow to a kingdom whose appetites feed on the backs of those without a voice, the poor, the marginalized, in order to prop up those who have access to power, those who are mighty? That is the choice that we have. Let me remind you of a little liturgy lesson. Right after the great Amen during the Eucharistic, in our Eucharistic prayer, we recite the Lord's Prayer. I was trained as a priest in India. And in India, my liturgics professors taught me that when you hear the words, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, you bow your head in full submission. The reason for that liturgical action is to bear witness to our full submission as Christians to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now that action in India is quite powerful. In a country that is governed by Hindu fundamentalists and that has been complicit in the persecution of religious minorities like Christians. Remember, Christians are only 2.3% of the Indian population. Bowing at those words was a way for us to witness that our loyalty is ultimately to Jesus and not to any powers of this world. Scripture is replete with examples of those who refuse to bow down. Mordecai did not bow down to an evil prime minister. Esther did not quiver and boldly lifted her head high in petitioning for the needs of her people. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, working within the halls of empire, refused to bend their knees to a golden statue that their boss, their earthly king, erected. Daniel refused to hide his devotion to God, knowing the consequences that that devotion would ultimately lead to the lion's den. John the Baptist, who in speaking truth to power, suffered the fate of his head, served on a silver platter. We have spiritual mothers in the church, Perpetua, Felicitas, Irene, Crispina, Agnes, and countless martyrs who would not forsake their king of kings, for their salvation was in the Lord Jesus, whose love, power, and redemption gave them agency as human beings. 
We have examples in our contemporary collective consciousness of faithful Christians who refuse to bow down to the idols and lords of hatred, self-serving power, and bigotry. Martin Niemöller, who after recognizing his own complicity during the Third Reich, one day transformed, boldly proclaim, only God is my Fuhrer. Martin Luther King and the saints at Selma, who drew the weapon of peace while being attacked on the Edmund Pettus Bridge on a bloody Sunday 57 years ago. Christians in the Middle East and parts of Africa whose confession, Jesus is King, puts them in direct confrontation with evil that exerts its will by intimidation, destruction, and torture. Or Michael Gerson, the faithful Christian who died this week, who used his gift in the form of the written word to remind the church not to cast our eyes on any political movement of this world, but to cast our eyes on Jesus, our King. While the physical persecution of Christians may not be a reality, in our nation today, those who truly follow the path of Christ face another form of persecution. It is countercultural to stand for mercy, compassion, forgiveness, and the radical nature of love. To the world, we sound foolish when we talk about self sacrifice, especially in an era of me, myself, and I in an era of self-glorification. It is countercultural to speak truth when the world seeks to dwell in hype and where truth is disregarded for alternate facts. When the siren of power rooted in self-interest continues to allure us, it is a test of our faith to take a stand for the voiceless. Now, my brothers and sisters in Christ, you are in church today. And it may seem counterintuitive for me to ask you what you choose. Yet, I do think that there is a choice for each and every one of you who hear me today. Either Christ is king and has dominion over each and every aspect of our life, or Christ is merely a symbol of a new nice idea and has little or nothing to do with how we live or walk in this world. Whatever it is, the choice is yours to make.